So we are continuing in our, in our series through Lent, looking at these letters that much of the church around the world is studying and preaching on this morning. Uh, so today we'll look at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25, and this, this question of what does it mean to be people of faith, and, and how, uh, how did God treat Abraham? How does he treat us? And, and how can we practice our faith? Romans 4, verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and call, calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as has it been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness." The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in my, in my previous church in New York, there were uh, a bunch of young people that had moved from other places to come to New York to follow their dreams. Uh, one young woman really stands out uh, in my mind because she was from the Northwest, like me. She had gone to the same college that my siblings went to, and she had moved all the way across the country from Spokane to New York City completely by herself at the age of 22. Why would she do this? Why would she do this with no job, with uh, little prospects? She had a dream since she was a little girl, since she was four or five years old, of singing on Broadway. And she had been in plays her whole life, all through high school. She had studied this in college. She had been probably, probably the best singer and actress at her college, probably one of the top in the whole city of Spokane, and she came to New York 
and she couldn't get an audition. She couldn't get a second look. She had to take all these sort of odd jobs, you know, nannying, running errands for people, doing, doing things um, for years and years. She did this for six years. And all the, all the waiting around, all the auditions, all the trying to make ends meet month by month, and never a breakthrough. And she, she moved away, she moved back to, uh, to, you know, to Washington State. And at her going away party, I was asking her, you know, you chased this dream for your whole life, and really, especially the last few years, and um, nothing, you know, nothing, uh, you weren't able to have that, that dream that you wanted, that breakthrough that you really wanted and that you worked so hard for. And how did you, how are you dealing with that? How are you doing right now? And she quoted to me Job 1, 21. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. God gives and God takes away. God gives us opportunities and he takes them away. He opens doors and he closes them. And it's all part of our journey. Some people... When they, when they don't accomplish their dream or when something unexpected happens or things don't come through like they hoped they would, they grow bitter and angry. They might even push God to the side because God didn't give them what they thought they wanted at the time. But the response of faith is to say, God gives and God takes away. God opens doors, God closes doors, and God must have something else for me. Despite everything that's going on, um, despite how difficult it might be in this moment, God must have another plan for me. And to say, you know, that dream or that plan or that hope that I had for my life, for my family, for my career, for my retirement, whatever it is, that's not my everything. Jesus is my everything. He's my everything. So no matter what comes at me, I can see it through the lens of faith. And I can see that God must have something more for me. Paul is teaching us in Romans 4 what it means to live by faith. Not by works, not by the law, not by trying to earn our righteousness, but what it means to live by faith. And, and what is that? Living by faith is trusting in what you can't see. Trusting in what you can't see. You know, if we, if we knew the whole plan, if we knew the whole story, if we knew all the details of how things are going to work out in our lives, we wouldn't need faith. And we probably wouldn't need God or we'd just push him to the side. But living by faith is trusting in what you can't see. When you can't see the next step, but you still trust and you move forward day by day. So in, in God's word this morning, Paul shows us that we can live by faith by trusting in three things. And these three things, we can't always see them, but they're there. What are they? Grace, faith, and hope. 
grace, we trust in grace, we trust in faith, and we trust in hope. Let's see what Paul shows us here. Right away, in verse 16, he says that the promise, the promise to Abraham and everything that God was going to do in Abraham's life, and that affects every single person in this room, which we'll get into, it came by faith. Paul continues, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. The promise rests on grace. It doesn't rest on your nationality, like you have to be Jewish and you have to be the people of the law. It doesn't rest upon your ability to keep the law or to be good enough for God. It rests upon faith. The promise rests in those things. So we can trust. We can trust that we're forgiven. That we're forgiven. That every time we confess our sins, just as we did this morning, that God wipes them away. That grace is real. That it's not just real for, you know, the hardened criminal who's in jail, who, um, who repents and has a new life. It's not just, it, grace isn't just real for, you know, that cousin you had that's had a crazy life or, or that other person. Grace is real for you. It's real for you and it's for me. And it's available to each one of us. And we walk in it by faith. The promise comes by faith. I've been, I've been a, a big fan of the, of the Irish band U2, you know, since I was seven years old, my big brother. This is what Bono, their lead singer, who's a strong Christian, this is what he says about grace. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the world might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of many religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all of that. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the consequences of our actions, which in my case is very good news, good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. That's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. It doesn't, include, it doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am, and I don't have to depend on myself. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out doesn't come back to us, and our sinful nature doesn't reap death. That's the point. This should keep us humbled. It's not in our own good works that we get through to heaven. When I look at the cross, what I see up there is all my, is all my manure and everybody else's. So, a lot, so I ask myself a question a lot of people have asked. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? And was he who he said he was? And there it is. And that's the question. 
the difference between grace and karma, the difference between grace and the law, the difference between God's love and grace and mercy and getting what we deserve, getting what we have coming to us. Paul continues, and he talks about that that all of Abraham's offspring are guaranteed, that all of Abraham's offspring are part of this promise that comes through grace. And we, many of us probably learned the, the song in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And we remember, and that's what this is all about. That it's, that, that God's work through Abraham wasn't just to the Jewish people, it wasn't just to people who, who live up to the law, but it was, by, it was to people by grace and through faith. This is what the, the, the reformers, this is what the people that, that started the Christian Reformed Church and this tradition, they called justification by faith. And it's this idea that, sort of like what Bono was saying, you know, every, every other religion teaches, if you're good, if you're good, then God will accept you. But Jesus, Jesus taught that God loves sinners, that God loves people that are humble enough to admit that we don't have it all together, that we mess up, that we need him each day. And that because of the work of Jesus, because of what he's done in taking our sins on the cross, that we are righteous in God's eyes. That was my sermon last week. Remember, we put on the righteousness of Christ like a robe. And so when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. What a, what a remarkable idea that God can look at any one of his children and he can love us as much as he loves Jesus. That's at the heart of this idea of grace. That's at the heart of this idea of justification by faith. Because Paul has said just a few verses earlier, God justifies the ungodly. Those of us that are not godly, those of us that mess up, those of us that are not perfect, that are not holy, we have been justified. And if we, if we look at Abraham's life, and we're going to look at it a little later, you know, this guy who doubted, this guy who was a pretty bad husband, who kept, you know, pushing his wife out, that God forgave him, that God justified him. So, tr so the first thing that Paul says is to trust, to trust that there is grace, to walk in, in the faith of that. Second, he says that even trust, trust, even when you can't see, even when you can't see, trust in faith, trust in the object of your faith, you know, not, not the size of your faith, but in the object of your faith. Jesus said, 
If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The smallest of all seeds is just fit right there on your finger. If you have faith like that, you can move mountains. And it's not the amount of faith that you have, but it's the object. It's what you're putting your faith in. There's a book that came out a few years ago by Frank Turret called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And you, you get the idea that it takes as much or more faith to believe that there's nothing out there as it does to believe in Jesus. I, I personally don't have enough faith to put my life and my eternal destiny in, you know, sort of a vague general spirituality or, you know, or fortune tellers or crystals or oils or this idea that's very prevalent that every religion leads to the same place. I don't have enough faith for that. I'm, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And that's, he's the object of my faith. Abraham's faith was in God. And verse 19 says that it didn't weaken, even when he looked at his own body, even when he knew God had given him that promise decades earlier. But here he is, 100 years old, and his wife is 90, and they still don't have children. But he grew faith, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham looked to God for his faith, and God held true to him. I heard, a, I heard one preacher tell this story about, you know, a young daughter, three years old, who, uh, you know, they used to give her crayons and paper, and she would, she would draw these things, you know, maybe, you know, a circle and, um, and, you know, scribbles, and you know how, how little kids draw. And she came and she presented this to her dad. And he said, wow, that's so, that's so beautiful, sweetie. Is that, is that the hairball that the cat coughed up? And she said, daddy, it's you. It's you, daddy. And, you know, I can imagine Stella doing that. And I would be so happy, even if it did look like a hairball or a blob or something. I would be so happy that she wanted to draw a picture of me. And, you know, if she's offering it, if she's offering it to me, to me it's as valuable and as precious as a professional painting, you know, as a Rembrandt. And you know what? If I say to her, honey, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for doing that. And if she keeps at it, and if she keeps drawing and coloring and painting and whatever it is, then five or 10 or 15 years later, it really will be beautiful art. And that's what God does with, with each one of us. You know, he credits it to us as righteousness. You know, our, um, our elementary works, just our humble offering, whatever we give to him, it's credited as righteousness. And the, the theologians call it, you know, the difference between implied righteousness and actual righteousness. It turns from implied to, to actual. It becomes right living. It becomes this beautiful art because the three-year-old keeps getting better and better. 
We trust. We trust in that. We trust in the ultimate object of our faith, in Jesus Christ. And believe him. Believe him when he tells you that your art is beautiful. Believe him when he tells you um, that, that he's forgiven you. Believe him when he tells you that, that he loves you and that he's your father. Third, in, in verses 18 to 21, Paul says to trust, to trust, to walk in faith, even when you can't see, to trust in hope, in hope for the future. We have this phrase in English, you know, hope against hope, this strong hope, even when things look bad, even when they don't look very promising. We hope against hope. Think about Abraham's journey. You know, the initial call in Genesis 12 to leave everything you knew behind and go. Follow me to a place that I will tell you. And then this this time in, in Egypt when he gives Sarai away. He's so scared that he says, go and say that you're my sister. And she goes with the Pharaoh. And yet God doesn't give up on them. God, in fact, blesses them. And yet they never have an heir. They never have children. And then God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he takes them, him out under the stars on a beautiful, peaceful night. Takes them far away from the bright lights and the big city and the smog and gives them this incredible view, and he says, look up. Those are going to be your descendants. Those are going to be your children. It'll be more than the stars in the sky and more than the sand on the seashore. That will be your children. And yet, there's more twists and turns in the story because he, he gets impatient, and he he sleeps with his maidservant, and Ishmael is born. And finally, five chapters later, in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. He's born against all hope. Isaac has come. And a few years later, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. And in Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac go up on the mountain and he's going to sacrifice him. And the knife is raised and God speaks to him again. He hears that audible voice and God tells him that it's, that it's a test. And again, on faith, this calling for, for hope that we know that we're growing in our faith in those moments that we're scared and we still trust, in these moments that we obey God, even when we don't understand why. That's what Abraham did. And you may look and you may think, well, that's great. That's great for Abraham. That's fine for him. But, you know, God hasn't given me any signs. God hasn't spoken to me. But I would challenge you to, to look around this room and to 
remember that the, God, the, the promise that God gave to Abraham and Sarah thousands of years ago, we are living it out today. We are part of that fulfillment. The song that many of us learned at four or five, six years old, it's profound because it's true. We've become children, not only of Abraham, but children of grace, children that are part of God's family. Every single person who trusts in Christ is part of that lineage, is part of the, is a fulfillment of what God said to Abraham. Every single one of those stars was lit for us, for us who believe. What is, what is the, the secret of faith? You know, what is, how, how do we live this out? We look at Jesus and we see the difference between Isaac and Jesus. We see that there was, there was another son and that Jesus went up on a mountain just like Isaac did. We reflect on this a lot in Lent. And yet, the, the lamb in the thicket that Abraham eventually sacrificed, that didn't happen for Jesus. He was that spotless lamb. He was the one that was to be sacrificed. And the, the knife, the knife was driven straight into Jesus. And he gave his life. He offered it up so that we could become part of God's family, so that we could know that it's by grace. We could know that God is delighting in us and singing over us, and that he has, he has empowered us to live a life of faith, to go beyond what we can see, and to trust in him. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of faith. When we truly understand it, we know that it's not another, you know, it's not another work, but that even the faith that we have is a gift from you. It's grace. Holy Spirit, show us how to be people of faith who can walk in that, who can look to our Savior each day, who can make decisions not in fear, but in faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.